the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a precursor to the two witnesses we read of in Revelation chapter 11, the measurement of the temple and why, next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. They are two witnesses, and most are familiar with these two people. They do come in and witness. They are martyred, and then they come back to life and witness some more. But before they're witnessing, and before we'll spend time looking at them in depth here on Abounding Grace, Pastor Gary Wagner returns us to the first few verses of chapter 11 in Revelation as we take a look at the measuring rod that was given to John and the call to measure the temple and why. It's all straight ahead. On today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. And there will be a great earthquake, and in various places, plagues and famines. And we see that in Revelation 11. There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things happen, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and to to prisons. And you see, this is a local event bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony, like the two witnesses here. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute, just again, like in Revelation 11. But you will be betrayed even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head, measured and sealed head, will perish. But your endurance, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem sounded by armies, and that's of course the Roman armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city. And again, you can see this is a local event, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are with child and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the land and the wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, the Romans, until the day of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I'm sure Jesus has in mind his sermon on the mount when he tells John to write these things. That the sanctuary is safe. The true church is safe. Everything outside the temple will be trampled by the Gentile Romans who will reign and continue their terror until their time is fulfilled. So you see the close affinity of Revelation 11 to Jesus' comments about 
the fall of Jerusalem in Luke 21. The people of God are safe. Everything else will be destroyed because it all represents the rebellion of man. Now, there are some numbers here that we need to look at. Verse 2, leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for the 1260 days. And then later it talks about three and a half days in verse 11. Now, what is this 42 months in which Jerusalem was trampled by the Romans? And during that time, there will be two faithful witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days. Remember now, numbers are highly significant in the book of Revelation. 42 months is three and a half years. Three and a half years, three and a half is broken into, is a broken seven, and seven is a very important number. It symbolizes perfection and completion, a long period of time. Well, this is not seven years. This is three and a half years. So it's not a long time. But it is long enough, a relatively brief period of time, but significant. Then 1,260 days is about three and a half years. But I want to tell you a reason I think it was 42 months or about three and a half years for certain. It's not just to impress us with the fact that it is a certain period of time. But if you know the history of Israel, in 721 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed and depopulated by the Assyrians. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians overthrew the Assyrians and ran roughshod over Jerusalem and took the Judeans captive in Babylon. And the Babylonians stayed in power until they were overrun by the Greeks. And one of the Leading Greeks under Alexander the Great was a man named Anicus Epiphanes, who harassed and oppressed Judah between the two testaments until the Greeks were then overrun by the Romans. Now, Anicus Epiphanes, you can read about in the Apocrypha. He was a bloodthirsty tyrant. But you can also read of some of the historic defense by the Maccabean dynasty of Jewish leaders trying to protect the Jews from Anicus Epiphanes. He invaded the land of Judah and terrorized it for three and a half years. Now, if you were alive in the first century and you knew your history, which you really would have known, they, the very thought that there is going to be another invasion, another oppression of three and a half years, it's going to ignite your memory of the horror that you've read about or been told about of the three and a half years of the reign of terror, terror by Anicus Epiphanes several generations earlier, and it will put the fear of God in you. So what do we have here? We have literal Jerusalem destroyed, and spiritual Jerusalem delivered. Literal Jerusalem was destroyed because it turned its back on the Messiah centuries before 
in developing a rabbinical, pharisaical religion of works, not of grace. The spiritual Jerusalem refers to the church, and it is protected. It is measured by God. It is sealed, and it is safe. Now, if you have some trouble in thinking in terms of a literal Jerusalem and a spiritual Jerusalem, let me show you that is actually a biblical way of thinking. So turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and I'll show you that is pretty much the kind of language the Bible uses here. Now, in Colossians 4, you have an allegory that Paul uses to refute the Judaizers. The Judaizers were those who taught that you had to become Jewish to become a Christian if you were a Gentile. And then you had to mix works and ceremonies with faith in order to be a Christian. So now Paul is using an allegory, a pretty complex one, but let me give you the main pieces. He says, they claim to be the sons of Abraham, that is the Judaizers. And Paul said, you're right, but Abraham had two sons by two different women. There was Hagar and Sarah. Sarah, Abraham's true wife, was symbolic of all of those who believed in salvation by grace alone. Hagar and her descendants were symbolic of all those who believed in salvation by human efforts and works. Now let's see what Paul does here. Galatians 4:25 and 26. Now this, Hagar, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to present Jerusalem or apostate Jerusalem. He says, Hagar is a figure of speech that symbolizes those who misuse Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to present Jerusalem, which is apostate legalistic religion. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. So you see, the New Testament talks about a present literal Jerusalem that is symbolic of all those who turned against the gospel of grace and then also of a spiritual Jerusalem that is the mother of all of us who believe in salvation by grace alone through Christ, who is, of course, the church. So what we see prophesied in the first two verses of Revelation 11 is that literal Jerusalem will be destroyed, by spiritual, but spiritual Jerusalem will be delivered. And the point is, beloved, there is hope for the faithful church, even in the midst of terrible national judgment. The church will never, ever be in a hopeless situation. Now, remember, the purpose of the book of Revelation is to encourage the faithful people of God in the first century to persevere even when they see such bloody things going on with the fall of Jerusalem. So here God is telling them, even when you see these things happening, when you see the city overrun and destroyed and these armies of locusts that we studied about last week and all the people dying and rotting in the streets, treating with such, treated with such indignity, understand that even at this point 
when things are pretty much as bad as they can possibly be. When the whole nation of Judah is under terrible national judgment, there is hope for the people of God. Or to be more specific, and this is something for all of you to cling to in the future, that the church will never be in a hopeless situation. No matter how bad things become, no matter how severe God's judgment is upon apostate churches and reprobate cultures, the church will never be in a hopeless situation. Whatever happens in this century from here on out, remember the true temple has been measured. Remember the true people of God have the seal of God upon their foreheads. And whatever happens in this culture, God will make sure, as Jesus said in his sermon on the mount, not a hair on your head will perish. Whatever God in his providence sees fit to bring upon us, our culture, the church is safe in his mighty hands. Now that brings us to the witnesses, two witnesses that we're going to spend much time on next week. But today I'm just going to take some time to introduce them. So let me read about them again in verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Now, whoever these witnesses are, keep in mind they have the authority of God and they are claimed by God. And they will prophesy for three and a half years clothed in sackcloth. So during the same time of the judgment, these two witnesses with divine authority are going to be preaching a divine message. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must. And that is a sovereign word. He must, according to the decree of God, be killed in this way. These two witnesses have the power to shut up the sky so that the rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes out of the abyss, and we're going to hear more about beasts in later chapters, will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is mystically or figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified, which is Jerusalem. Those from the people and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half years and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another. Think about it. That's kind of like an anti-Christmas. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Oh, my gosh, I love that verse. The reason they killed these prophets is because their preaching of the gospel tormented these people. Oh, beloved, we need more preachers whose preaching torments people. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven on a cloud, and their enemies watched them. 
And in that hour, there was a great earthquakes. And earthquakes in Revelation are figures of tremendous disturbances on the earth. And a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Now remember, the numbers are figurative. Ten is an important number. It is the number of completion. Seven is the number for perfection and completion. So the point is not that there was a literal tenth or literally 7,000 people, but it points to the fact that the opposition collapsed. The heart of the opposition to these witnesses collapsed because of the judgment of God. Now, who are these witnesses? Well, it says that these witnesses preached during the same time that the city was being destroyed. And what do we know about witnesses and that number two? Well, in Deuteronomy 17, 6, it says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So there you have in the Old Testament court system that before someone could be found guilty, it could only be on the basis of two or more cooperative testimonies, two witnesses, not just one, but two or more. Then in Matthew eighteen sixteen, you see that same case law as the basis for church discipline. Now, this is a great way to prove theonomy. Deuteronomy 17.6 is a case law, and it is used as the basis for church discipline in Matthew 18.6 that says, if you cannot get someone to repent yourself, you are to take two witnesses or three with you, that by the mouth of these witnesses, his guilt may be confirmed. Then there's another time we read about two and witnesses, and that is in Luke 10 verse 1. Which says, now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. So here you have these 70 witnesses that Jesus sent out to preach two by two. Witnesses two by two. Then you have this idea of two witnesses in the book of Revelation chapters two and three. In Revelation 2 and 3, you have the letters to the seven churches. Christ complained against all of those churches. But how many? Two. There were two churches that Jesus had no complaint against. Why? Because they were faithful witnesses. And one was Smyrna and the other was Philadelphia. So who are these two faithful witnesses? It is not two specifically identified human beings, but it is the church bearing witness and testimony through its members in the first century, and of course on through the centuries until the second coming of Christ. So that in the first century, you had faithful witnesses like the churches at Smyrna and Philadelphia. You had faithful witnesses that were not afraid to speak the truth. And they did it boldly and were backed by the authority of God and were persecuted, but who eventually led 
a great awakening on this earth. And we'll come to that more next week. In Acts 1.8 it says, You shall be my witnesses that belong to me. And you are witnesses that shall wear sackcloth. Now, sackcloth you certainly don't purchase at men's warehouse. Because it is a symbol of penitent faith, grieving judgment. And here these witnesses are called upon to be faithful witnesses in preaching the judgment of God upon the condemned city of Jerusalem. Now notice two other things and then I'll quit for today. On the basis of two reliable witnesses, guilt is confirmed. These are two witnesses that are preaching condemnation to the city of Jerusalem from God and guilt is confirmed. You see, they're saying we've seen it. We are testifying to it. We can corroborate each other's witness. So we preach God's judgment. These two witnesses are telling the world this city is as guilty as charged. And what that means then is in our preaching and teaching in cultures and societies like Jerusalem in the first century and America now. Our major note must always be on judgment. You know, the first person to bear that out in recent times was Francis Schaeffer in his great book, Death in the City. And that was an application of the book of Jeremiah. He brings out that if we are going to be faithful witnesses in the 20th century, and of course now in the 21st century, then our gospel must include a strong note of judgment upon this culture, calling people to repent of their sins and come to Christ before it is everlastingly too late. And you see the same thing from these two witnesses. They corroborate each other and stand in the midst of Jerusalem where it is being destroyed and they declare God's judgment upon them. And they call them even at that late point to repent. But sadly, the culture rejects them and kills them. Let's go back to verse 3. And I will grant authority to two witnesses, and they will prophesy for, prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, if you have read Zechariah, you know exactly what he's talking about here. So turn to Zechariah because this is a direct reference to his book in chapter 4. Verse 1. Then the angel was speaking with one returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. He said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it. And its seven lamps on it with seven spouts, belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side and of the bowl and the other on its left side. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these things, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered, and he said, Do you not know what these things are? And I answered and said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now go back to Revelation 11 and these two witnesses. In verse 4, 
You have the two lampstands and the two olive trees before the Lord of the earth. In other words, the golden lampstand described in Zechariah 4.2, it was gorgeous, but it could not function at all unless it was connected to a source of oil. And it was not connected to a tank or a bowl of oil. It was connected to two olive oil trees so that the source of power would be constant and there would never be any interruption in their witnessing. So here you see these two witnesses in the first century. They spoke with the authority of the Lord and they spoke also with his power and they did many things beginning then But as we shall see, they continued throughout history because of their connection with this constant source of power. They're killed, and their bodies are treated contemptuously, but they were raised from the dead. And when they were raised, nothing was ever the same again in history. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Mm -hmm.